Well, good morning, gang. It is uh, Eric here uh, from my office. Uh, first things first, it's been a couple weeks since I've seen you. Last week I had some uh, some family issues that I had to sort out, and so I wasn't able to bring the devotion to you. But uh, today we're going to continue looking at uh, at Job, and today we're going to camp in chapter 11. First things first, can I ask if uh, anybody out there is watching yet, uh, how's the picture? Is it okay? Is it clear? Last time I did this, picture was real fuzzy and terrible, and uh, maybe it was just the internet, I don't know. But uh, if you can just comment on there, let me know one way or the other. Give a like or something, uh, just so I know the picture's fine, and uh, then I'll continue. Otherwise, um, I'll, if the picture's not fine, then I'll... Um, okay, good, it's okay. All right, good, good, good. All right, so uh, we're going to be talking today... Uh, about the preaching for the purpose of punishment, the preacher of punishment. Now, uh, this is a true story. Uh, there is a video out there on YouTube um, of Pastor Jim. I don't know his last name, but uh, apparently Pastor Jim woke up on the wrong side of the bed um, before he went to church because on May 19th, 2013, Pastor Jim let his congregation absolutely have it. Uh, first, he saw a man falling asleep during a sermon, and he said, quote, hey, it doesn't do you any good sleeping while I'm talking. Hey, 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 don't you go laying your head back while I'm talking to you. Hey, I'm important. I'm somebody. <laughs> I just can't even quote it without laughing hysterically at the ridiculousness of this guy. But uh, from there, Pastor Jim then walked out of his pulpit to the man's seat and said, listen, you might do your English teacher that way, but I'm not teaching English up here. I'm teaching eternal life. I love you. As he berates him in front of the entire congregation, I love you. Then nudging the man, he said, you stay awake and you listen to me. And then he went to another congregation member and called him, quote, one of the sorriest church attenders he had. And I could go on and on. I mean, he he, he just lost it and uh, went after all the folks in his church for all their sinful ways and all the ways they had disappointed old Pastor Jim for their lack of sanctification. And in the same way, Job's friend Zophar, in our chapter today, has decided he is going to punish Job. But in this case, it's not because Job is falling asleep. Not at all. Job can't fall asleep. He's too uncomfortable. Rather, it's, it's because Job's situation is an affront to Zophar's view of God. Zophar's view of God is really pretty simple. It's a very common view. And that is bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Period. Full stop. End of story. But no matter what Job's friends have said so far, he continues, this Job continues to protest that he's actually done nothing wrong to bring the suffering he's experiencing upon himself. And in Zophar's theology of glory, this simply cannot be the case. It just can't be. This possibility cannot be allowed. And with each word of Job's protest to his friends, Zophar, you can see from the passage, becomes more and more sort of hot inside. And so he's going he's gonna to put a stop to this nonsense talk. He doesn't want to hear any of this bad theology, in his mind at least, being espoused by Job. And so let's listen to what Zophar the Namathite said 
verse 1 or verse 2, should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men and when you mock shall no one shame you? For you say, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol? What can you know? It is, its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. If you prepare your heart, Job, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand... Put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents, Job. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery. You will remember it is waters that have passed away, and your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like morning, and you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor, Job. But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them and their hope is to breathe their last. Here ends the rant of Zophar the Namathite. Well, let's take a bit of time to pick apart this message of punishment. First, he begins by shaming the victim of suffering. Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men and when you mock shall no one shame you, Zophar says? Zophar's have it. And so it's time to shame his friend into submission. For you say my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes. But, oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you. Do you see that? You see, I mean, he's just, he's really going for it. Really shaming Job. And, you know, I got to say, I can remember thinking at one time in my life when I was younger that this might be a helpful way of dealing with someone's problem, shaming them about it, or dealing with someone's suffering. I remember a friend of mine had, uh, I mean, I was young and I was really just learning about law and gospel and, you know, <laughs> and there's something very dangerous about somebody right when they first come into contact with good theology. Um, Calvinists refer to it as the cage stage. Lutherans have a similar thing when we come across law and gospel and we try to wield it. We try to use it in such a way that we can control it. And, uh, and a friend of mine had confessed to me that uh, he had been caught in some sin. And I was very, <clears throat> I was very disappointed in him. And uh, not recognizing how to distinguish law and gospel at all, uh, I gave him precisely the exact opposite word I should have. I actually said to him, I can remember saying to him, I hope you're ready because I'm about to hammer you with the law of God. The, the absolute worst, worst thing I could have done 
thankfully, I'm still friends with this person today, and he forgave me after uh, he pointed out to me how much of a jerk <laughs> it was. Uh, but my point in that moment was to shame him, was to crush him. And, uh, and of course, that is all the rage in our culture right now, right? I mean, all the rage is to shame people into the point of oblivion, to exclude them. So if a, if a celebrity says a wrong thing anytime, then they are to be banished and shamed on social media. Uh, I mean, I, I could go over example, example, example of this, where this is happening all the time. And, um, and of course, it doesn't do anything to actually help the sufferer when you're shaming them. I can remember when Rick Warren's son committed suicide. It was just disturbing to see the haters come out in full throng, criticizing his parenting. I mean, before the body was even cold, criticizing his parenting and his preaching and his views on sexuality. And, uh, of course, shaming does nothing to actually help the sufferer. Because what a man needs, what a person needs when they're suffering is not shame, but reassurance. Now, Zophar has none of that. Uh, the second aspect of the Punisher, Punisher's message here, lecturing. Oh man, does Zophar wax eloquent about all sorts of truths about God. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Oh gosh, spare me, man. I mean, it's not that it's what he's saying isn't true. The problem is he's saying it to a person at the exact wrong time. I mean, this person doesn't need to be reminded of how uh, distant God is from him. This person needs to be reminded of how close and near God is to him. This is, I mean, it, we're very prone when we come across suffering to want to remind a person uh, that God is, quote, in control. We're very prone to wanting to tell people that. Is that true? Yes, God's, God is sovereign. God is Lord of heaven and earth. We confess that. But that's not what the sufferer needs to hear in that moment. What the sufferer needs to hear is he is with you, and he will never forsake you, and he will hold you up. He needs to hear about a God who incarnates in human flesh, who knows the suffering that he experiences, who is not distant or far away, but is going through it alongside of him. Zophar alludes in verses 12 through 13, or goes to then, name-calling. He alludes to Job being worthless and stupid, unable to even understand the basics of how God works. Quote, for he knows worthless men when he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Good gracious. I mean, you talk about the worst possible way to come to a sufferer. Actually, I mean, call into question <laughs> their intellectual capability. Well, it must be part of your suffering, Joe, is probably because you're not very smart. You're not figuring it out. You're not figuring out the way that God has clearly showed how he's worked in this world. And then, to add insult to injury... He concludes with the worst possible advice that you can give to somebody who's suffering, and that is for Job to save himself. Quote, if you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. 
If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents. It's so simple, Jeb. All you have to do is prepare your own heart, stretch out your own hands toward him, stop sinning, and then keep on not sinning, and everything between you and God will be hunky-dory. Now, everything our dear Zophar has said so far has been pretty wrong-headed to Job, but this thing right here, this thing is actually, can be very deadly, because Zophar is urging Job to look in on himself for his strength instead of to look to God for his strength. First, before he calls him to look to God, he calls him to clean his own act up. He gets it precisely wrong, precisely opposite. Looking to God is what gives us clean hands, not cleaning our hands and then looking to God. But this is the order that Zophar gives. Uh, my friend Matt Richard has a nice illustration for this kind of preaching. Uh, he says, imagine you're sitting out on a dock fishing, leisurely enjoying your day when suddenly you see a man out in the ocean struggling to stay afloat. And it's clear that, that he is treading water and, and is in danger of drowning. And so after the, observing the situation for a few seconds, you quickly come to the realization that the man needs help. And so you think, oh, good, good, I know what I'll do. You look in your tackle box and you pull out this little manual that you've kept with you for such a time as this that instructs you how to swim. In it, you are taught all the various ways to tread water, to do it for a long time, gives all sorts of helpful hints. And so what you do is you say, dear sir, dear sir, don't worry, I'm here to help you. And then you throw the book at him as he's treading water and wait for him to pick it up and read it. It's not going to happen. The man doesn't need a swimming manual at this time. The man needs a lifeguard. Job doesn't need Zophar's lecturing about how to save himself. Job needs somebody to sit by him and actually hold him up, preferably with their mouth shut in this case. Because as God says at the end of this book, his friends do a lot more harm than good and angers and makes God quite angry. So, when the punishing preacher comes throwing it all back on Job to save himself, that's really what he's doing. He's throwing a swimming manual at a drowning man. All right, so let's wrap this up here, shall we? Here's the reality. Uh, as we've taken a very brief survey of what a, a punishing message sounds like, it becomes clear that really every one of us at some point or another has had experience with such messages. I mean, we, we may think of a time that a friend or a relative or, or indeed a preacher uh, has talked to us this way. Um, we may think of times when we've spoken to people this way, as I did with my good friend, uh, we may think of the many times that we speak to ourselves this way, that we shame ourselves and that we lecture ourselves and we call ourselves names and we're trying to save ourselves. And so in conclusion, what we need to know is really how the gospel responds to all this punishment talk, especially in our suffering. So if shame is coming your way and tells you that you deserve worse when you're suffering, you who have been freed up in the gospel don't need to disagree. As a matter of fact, you can say something like this. Sure, 
in and of myself, I don't merely deserve shame here, but I deserve shame in eternity too. But my hope is not resting on what I deserve. My hope is resting on Christ. And he has taken my shame upon the cross. He has risen from the dead and left my shame in the grave. When the lecturer comes to you, only sharing unlimited truths about God that condemn you, say, yes, all these things are true about God and more. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He is holy. Yes, he is above it all. But the God I worship in Jesus Christ is also a God who, though he is unlimited, made himself limited to a diaper and a mother's breast in a stable. The God I worship in Jesus Christ is a God who, though unlimited, limits himself to bread and wine and weeps alongside people in their time of mourning. So I will not be punished by your lecture about the hidden God, but I will hope in the revealed God through Jesus Christ, who loves me and will never leave me. When the name-calling begins for your response to suffering, you who are free in the gospel can simply say, yes, it could be true that I am stupid and worthless, but my God through Jesus Christ says something entirely different to me. He says that I am a new creation and that in him I'm worthy and have all the knowledge I need through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm banking my hope on the fact that whatever names you call me here pale in comparison to the name I am baptized into, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when the Zophars of the world, whether internal or external, come throwing sw swimming manuals at you, telling you to save yourself, you can simply say to dear Zophar, though you say I must prepare my own heart. I know that in and of myself I cannot prepare my own heart, for it is dead in and of itself. Though you say I must stretch out my hands, I find myself stretching my hands out to way too much sin. Iniquity is often in my hand, and I can't seem to put it far away. And as much as I know it's wrong, injustice does indeed still dwell in my tents. But that is not the end of the story so far, because I have a lifeguard, and he has scooped me up, breathed life into me, and stretched out my hands toward him. He has forgiven me of all my iniquity, and though injustice may dwell in my tent, it is no longer held against me because I am covered by his perfect justice handed to me at the cross. And then, then, when your hope is anchored in Christ, well, then you might actually be able to say these wonderful words of praise that Zophar ends with when he speaks to Job. Surely then. I will lift my face without blemish. I will be secure and will not fear. I will forget my misery. I will remember it as waters that have passed away. And my life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And I will feel secure because there is hope. I will look around and take my rest in security. I will lie down and none will make me afraid. Amen. All right, gang, that's it. Next week, we skip ahead to uh, near the end of Job, where we begin to see God's response to all of this talk from Job's friends and Job's laments himself. So look forward to being with you then. Have a great week, gang. God bless.